When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 21, and today we're talking about books released on September 29th, 2015. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well redhead Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello! Hi! <laughs> simultaneous hellos today. Sometimes I'm going to be like, I'm Mrs. Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> I am also Mrs. Idris Elba. <laughs> Just change it up a little. <laughs> I have almost said my name was Jeff O'Neill on the Book Riot show a couple of times, just reading the wrong copy. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. People confuse us for each other. I could be you and you could be me and then we could merge together and be Mrs. Idris Elba. I did hit my head, so I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah, you had, I mean, you're always joking about reading books by osmosis and like putting them straight into your brain, but you went a little literal on that I this did. week. <laughs> uh, I have a mild concussion because a book fell in my head. It's true. It hurt mm -hmm. a lot. From high up, from like from, what, four or yeah. five feet up? Yeah, it, it just, I didn't see it there on top of the stack and it just caught me straight in the middle of the bean. And it hurt a lot. My boyfriend was like, are you okay? I was like, oh, he's like, this is a great story for the podcast. He's like, yeah, you, you got hit you by said, a book. I think you said on Twitter that like your normal friends were like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And all your book friends opened with, what book was it? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. I don't know if it's ironic, but the book was Hold Still. <laughs> The photography biography. <laughs> By Sally Man. Yeah. Which is like twice as heavy as a normal hardcover. That is a big book. Yeah. It's a big one. Yeah. I was but your head won, right? Your head dented the book. Oh, this, yeah. Because the spine it landed right in the corner and it like pushed the, the spine in. Yeah. But it didn't well, feel good. Man. I hope it went back to the <laughs> shelf and told the rest of its friends and none of the other books will attack you now. Yeah. Or they're all like out to get me. <laughs> So, you They're know, plotting. They're waiting for you to go to sleep at night. You're going to wake up and there will be like a circle of books holding pitchforks surrounding oh, yeah. you. And more of them. Like to make myself feel better, I went shopping for more books today. So <laughs> As one that's does. That's a smart idea. <laughs> but you're going to store them all on low shelves, yeah. right? From now on, they're all going on the floor. <laughs> you need the thing that Lane has on Gilmore Girls where she keeps all of her books like hidden in floorboards. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. My boyfriend's going to be really impressed when I start digging up the floor. <laughs> I'm like, Rebecca said I could. <laughs> this is totally normal behavior. Tell Pete he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, it's completely <laughs> fine. Uh, before I let you do your first pick, I want to talk about Book Riot Live for a second. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. It's getting close. Except so, one thing. I've, yeah. I've put you first today oh i'm going yeah, first. i don't want to okay. go first. okay well then i'll talk about book riot live and then i have a natural segue to going first so that's perfect Yay. thank you uh so book riot live if you are just coming brand new to all the books is our first 
live event. It's November 7th and 8th in New York City. It is a two-day book nerd palooza, the kind of book convention that we and a bunch of readers that we know have always wanted to go to. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, one of the things that makes Book Riot Live different from other book events that you might have seen is that we're combining the education elements and the fun elements. So rather than just having like an industry issues or networking thing, or a just silly fun fan thing, we wanted to do both because that's part of the life and the spirit of Book Riot is ranging from fun and silly to serious and thoughtful. Um, like we say on the site's mission, we think that you can like both JK Rowling and JM Coetze and that there are smart and funny and informative things to say about both and that you shouldn't have to choose. And so you can be silly or serious or both silly and serious at Book Riot Live. Uh, if you're down for learning, we have a, a panel about how a book gets made. We've got a panel about turning awareness of social issues into publishing action, um, positive actions you can take as a reader, as a person who loves books to help contribute to the world of books and reading. Uh, you can learn about how authors create believable worlds. If you just want to have fun, you can watch a live performance of Shakespeare's Star Wars. You can play bookish Jeopardy. You can attend Pictionary with Lucy Nisley and Wendy Shu. Or you can discover stuff about making uh, a zine or telling stories on alternative platforms. You can learn about giving good books to kids and what recommendations are and so many more. Go to bookriotlive.com to see the full lineup of panels and speakers that we have. There are more exciting announcements coming soon, but it's a pretty full slate already. Use the code MORECATS. That's MORECATS, all one word, for $20 off your registration. That is our custom all the books code. And we will see you in New York on November 7th and 8th. Oh, and also Margaret Atwood will be there. She is one of our featured speakers. Um, so bookriotlive.com, use the code MORECATS to save 20 bucks. Please come hang out with us. Liberty uh, will hopefully have a full noggin by then, and we will be doing a live recording of this show uh, so you can watch us flail in person in all of our Muppet Arming glory. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. So awesome. When we're not uh, recording, we'll be following Alexander Chi around. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, we will. Uh, so that leads me into my first pick this week. Since we talked about Margaret Atwood coming to Book Riot Live, she has a new book out today. Woohoo! National it is, holiday. It really is. Uh, it is called The Heart Goes Last. And I really loved this book. It's been, it's interesting um, when a big book by a big name author gets mixed reviews. And I have to like, if we're being totally honest, which is what we do here on all the books, this one has been getting mixed reviews. They're, they've been kind of all over the place um, from the big publications. I am firmly in the pro camp of The Heart Goes Last. Um, our colleague, Brenna Clark Gray, uh, called it a domestic dystopia, which which I think is right on. This is a story about a relatively young married couple, Stan and Charmaine. I think they're in their mid-30s, but we're never given their exact ages. They're a middle-class couple in a world that is very much like ours, which is really where Margaret Atwood shines in saying, what if we took our world and then we followed some of the scariest, most disturbing parts of our world to their possible logical, terrifying ends? Uh, so Stan and Charmaine live in contemporary America, they are in the middle class, and there is an economic collapse of the very worst kind. Uh, they end up living out of their car. Stan loses his job and can't get anything. Uh, Charmaine can only get a job working at a really like grungy, crappy bar where there's a little nook in the corner of the bar where the local prostitutes take their clients. Um, that things are not 
good. Uh, and then one day at work, Charmaine sees a commercial for something called the Positron Project. Um, this promises that it will get you out of whatever terrible living situation you're in, that it involves uh, some new way to live where there is no homelessness, where everybody has a job and things will be shiny and happy and good. So Stan and Charmaine apply and are accepted to the Positron Project. And it turns out that this is basically a contained suburb that also includes a prison. Um, the prisons were one of the last thriving businesses in this world, and Atwood uses that to make a point about all of the different purposes that prisons have been used to serve uh, in contemporary America. Crowd control, uh, they are a place to put young people of color who... Uh, people in power wish to not have be active on the streets for varieties of, uh, you know, racially and politically motivated reasons, um, all kinds of things. Margaret Atwood is not shy or afraid of uh, political and social issues. And that's very present here. Uh, so in the Positron Project in this suburb, there are the there's the neighborhood, there's the houses and all the like normal businesses you would see in a suburb. And there is the prison, which, you know, was the last thriving thing. And it occurred to some folks who ran a corporation that they could have 100% efficiency if the people who benefited from having the prison in their community, who had jobs that were, you know, provided by the prison, were also the prisoners. So the way this works is you sign up for it and every other month you go to prison. Uh, Stan and Charmaine get assigned to a house. They live in it for one month and then they pack up. They check into the prison while their alternates, the other people who share all their spaces, move into the house for the month and spend the other months in prison. Uh, this, you know, seems very idyllic, this world that they've created in the suburbs, like only plays 1950s music and Stan finds himself humming Doris Day. But of course, you know, dark and sinister things lurk below and it becomes really a story about the illusion of security and what that illusion costs us, how much we're willing to give up to be able to tell ourselves that we are in a secure situation. And it's also about the darker edges of marriage. Um, the reasons that Stan chose Charmaine, she's proper, she's reliable. She is very Doris Day, um, very much a prude. You can picture her like tying on a nice little floral apron while she's wearing kitten heels to set the table for dinner and, you know, take his briefcase from him when he comes in the door. Those reasons he chose her as his wife become the very things that he resents about her and he finds himself fantasizing about all sorts of stuff and then going to all kinds of lengths to try to fulfill those fantasies and those lengths are available in this world that they're living in in the positron project so domestic dystopia as brenna said is a really nice way to look at it i love a novel about the darker edges of marriage i love a novel that sort of takes the dark parts of real life and spins them out to a what if things got really bad. Um, Margaret Atwood is great at this. It's really different from the Mad Adam books and for, from some of her other dystopian stories. She's not taking on like environmental problems the way she she took on something that big. But domestic issues are big and our you know, relationships and our daily lives are meaningful and uh, a very rich field uh, to I, my agricultural metaphor engine is failing, but that's a very rich, you know, field of material uh, to go mining. So I really, really loved it. Um, Margaret Atwood, The Heart Goes Last. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I feel like I talked about that for like 900 minutes, but it was a really good book. <laughs> that's okay. You can talk about it as long as you want. I'm busy concentrating on not moving away from my microphone, so... 
sit I, still I yes. and sit still I, and don't throw I've, anything at yourself. <laughs> I've been chastised, listeners. I was chast. I wiggle around a lot when I'm recording. I do. I'm like Mr. Peepers. I like get up on my chair. I just wiggle all over the place. So I'm trying really hard, but I'm like I can't move my head and look at my notes and and do this at the same time. But I'm gonna try. You're doing uh, a good job. All right. Before things get too much further away from us, we got to do our first sponsor. Uh, this week, the show is brought to you by me, my hair and I. It's a collection of essays edited by Elizabeth Benedict. Uh, this is a really great collection of essays. I have had the, a chance to read through several of them. There are 27 total in it. Uh, ask anybody, any woman about her hair, and you're going to get some kind of life story. Um, something about, you know, the terrible haircut that she had that made her cry, or about the, you know, power that she felt when she changed her hair color, or when you got a new haircut after you broke up with that deadbeat. Uh, we all have stories about our hair that tie into more meaningful parts of our lives. And how many times have you bonded with a total stranger as you both like stared into a bathroom mirror and you were washing your hands and trying to fix your hair and, you know, somebody makes a comment and then everybody's laughing. Um, so in Me, My Hair and I, 27 women writers untangle our obsession with hair by telling their own stories in within the collection. Um, hair is knotted up with our identity and our relationships, with our mothers, with our friends. It, it has to do with our control issues, with our politics, with our culture, with our freedom, and so much more. Uh, just as a taste, um, in one of the pieces, journalist uh, Maria Hinojosa on, talks about her curly hair and says that she came to accept it and love her wild hair, that it became a way for her to feel free and to feel power that she had never experienced. Um, Marita Golden contemplates the the cultural meaning of good hair and her decision to let hers be natural. An uh, Emmy award-winning documentarian named Suleika Juwad faced down leukemia and chemo by getting hair tattoos and writes about that. Um, and Alex Kuczynski writes about her first ladyscaping waxing experience and what that was like. There are so many more. This is such a smart thing to make a collection of essays about. There's a really nice, eclectic, diverse lineup of contributors as well. Um, so Me, My Hair, and I, edited by Elizabeth Benedict. Check that out from Algonquin Books now, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Of course, you can find it wherever books are sold. Uh, thanks to them for sponsoring the show this week. Would you like me to talk about my first book? Please do. Okay. This is one that I read last year, and it is now out in paperback, and it's awesome. It is called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes by Caitlin Doty. It's so good. Yeah, and you might have heard of her before. Um, she has a YouTube series called Ask a Mortician. And she founded the Order of the Good Death. Um, this is her memoir. She is a licensed mortician. Uh, she lives in California. And this is her memoir about growing up. Uh, when she was very young, she grew up in Hawaii. She witnessed something very horrible that I'm not going to talk about here. Um, you'll have to read the book to find out. But that kind of caught her interest. And all of a sudden, she had this fascination with death. And like, you know, anim when animals died and when people died and all that stuff. And she grew up, she took classes, she um, became a mortician. Uh, and so she started out um, talking about it uh, on YouTube. You could ask her anything that you want, and she will tell you, you know, like people ask, like, uh, what happens to your, you know, fake hip if you're cremated? Or, you know, what hap just basics, like what happens to your body when you die and, and all this stuff. And she'll answer all these questions. But she's incredibly hilarious. Uh, she's not, like, when you think of a mortician, you probably think of, like, a tall old man in a suit who's very serious. Um, she is the opposite of that. She is this awesome lady with fabulous Betty Page bangs. 
Um, she's very young, and she's really she calls it uh, being death positive. Like she really wants us to get back to this place where um, we're not afraid of death, and we're not afraid of bodies, and we're not afraid of you know what happens like when people die. She wants families to be more comfortable and get more involved. Like when a loved one dies, like not to let the funeral homes make all the decisions for them that they should. You know, a family should really take part. We should get back to like you know a hundred years ago when people used to die. You know, they would put them in the parlor and people would come by and they would take pictures with them. And somehow we got away from that. And she wants to get people back to you know being more comfortable with it. Um, they're making it into a television series. Did you know Are that? Are they really? Yeah, isn't that exciting? I didn't know that. That is great. Yeah. Um, and she has since opened her own funeral home. Good. For did her. you know that? I did not know that. It's called Undertaking L.A. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's just, it's just a really, a really great book. Um, she's really smart. And it's a, it's a really healthy take on life because, you know, it's something that's going to happen to all of us. And uh, as I'm going to talk about a little bit more later, we're all terrified of death. More so every year. So um, <laughs> it's definitely something that we should face. And why not have it be funny while you're doing it? So, again, that is called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes by Caitlin Doty. I really loved that book. I'm so glad it's in paperback and more people are going to read it now. Yeah, and then with a TV series, everybody's going to read it. Your hair is more purple than ever. It is. That was kind of an accident. Like, oh, it no. Has, <laughs> it has three different shades of purple in it. And um, when I went to get it done earlier this week, the darkest shade sort of just ate up Bossed the lighter the lighter shades. Uh, so I've been shampooing with like the worst shampoo that I can find to try to help it fade a little bit. And every time I wash my hair, it looks like I have murdered Grimace from the McDonald's commercials in my shower. I completely <laughs> like, sympathize. Yeah, there's like purple foam everywhere. There are currently like four dots of purple spray on the ceiling of my bathroom that I must have like flipped my hair or something and I can't get them yes. off. Me right now, I'm looking a little bit like the love child of Elmo and Kat Von D. So <laughs> it's kind of really red. Maybe if we blend our two hair colors together, we'll end up like somewhere in the middle. But see, there's there's real there's something to it to this notion that our hair ties in with other things in our life. Um, it's fun. I really it is fun. Uh, I really liked me, my hair, and I. Wow. Okay, there's no way to segue smoothly to my next selection. It's pretty serious, so I will just get right to it. It's called In Order to Live by Yanmi Park. This is a memoir. Uh, Yanmi Park is just 21 now. She's a young woman, and she has already become known as one of the best-known human rights activists for people in North Korea. Um, this is her story about growing up in North Korea. She reveals the depth and the despair of daily life there. The power was rarely on. They had limited food and water. Um, you would have to get up in the wee hours of the morning and carry your bucket down to the well and wait in line to get water to carry back to your home. And you might not even be guaranteed to get any. Everyone in the community was encouraged to spy on everyone else. There's this real sense of paranoia that the government wants to have there um, so that people will obey and, and fall in line with the dictatorship families are looked down on for mistakes, whether they were real mistakes or just perceived mistakes that people generations back made um, because it's a communist country. Um, when she was growing up, one of her, uh, I think it was her grandfather uh, or a friend of theirs, someone, I have forgotten this specific detail, but like someone's great grandfather owned land. Um, and this, you know, was perceived as being very bad because you don't own things in an anti-capitalist society. And so that person's descendants were like, 
put into a lower social caste, essentially, because they were associated and related to someone who had violated the anti-capitalist values of the country. This very scary stuff. Like, I think that we hear a lot about North Korea and we hear a lot of bad jokes about North Korea here in America. But this really brought home to me what it would be like to be someone relatively recently growing up there and exactly how harsh that reality was. Um, Yanmi Park and her mother eventually fled to China um, while her father was in and out of prison for both crimes, real and imaginary. Um, but it turned out that the person and the people who had helped them flee tricked them and they were sold into slavery. Uh, and so they that's horrible. It's horrifying what she writes about happened to them. And um, they eventually escaped to South Korea by walking across the frozen Gobi Desert. Um, all of this before she was 21. All of this actually before she was a late teenager um, and now has become an activist. She speaks and writes about this experience. And the book goes deeper into uh, what her life was like and, and reveals more than she had revealed in any talks or previous pieces of writing. It is so sobering and so honestly written and uh, also really inspiringly hopeful. Um, it's it's hard to read a book about such a difficult experience and and to see a person come through it um, and survive and really have a a remarkable spirit and a remarkable way of taking the things that happened to her and moving forward into doing something as important and as valuable as working to improve the conditions for other people who live there and really uh, using her activist skills and to, to to be like I think we have a tendency when we read stories like this to be like oh well she made something good of it and isn't that great. Um, the, her experience and what happens to people in North Korea is really horrible. And um, she's just bringing that to light. I think it's very brave. Um, and th this was a remarkable book to read. Um, that's called In Order to Live by Yeonmi Park. Uh, my next pick uh, I could talk about forever. So I'm going to try and do it from memory so that it'll slow me up a little bit. <laughs> I didn't write any notes because otherwise we'd be here all day. Um, it is called Scream. Chilling Adventures in the Science of Fear by Margie Kerr, uh, and it is about the science of fear. She is a sociologist, and she studies what makes us afraid and what happens to our bodies mentally and physically when we are afraid. Um, like, why someone would pay money to go in a fake haunted house and then scream for their mother, you know, like, scared out of their minds, even though they know it's not real. And, like, why people enjoy mm -hmm. being scared. And, and you know, uh, she is... Pretty unflappable, this woman. She did some crazy things. You you would probably do these things. I, I could see you doing all of them. Like, <laughs> what like, are the things? Oh, she goes like on the, the world's biggest roller coaster, and she goes up onto the tallest world's tallest tower, and there's like this platform that you can walk out on and like sit back in your harness and like hang over the edge. And like, oh yeah, I would totally. Do you these would things. so do these things. I would not. This whole time, I was like, no way, lady, no way, lady, no way, lady. Um, but it's, it's really interesting, you know, she talks about all the things that we're afraid of, like, uh, roller coasters, skydiving, bungee jumping, enclosed spaces, heights, ghosts in this haunted is like places. like my bucket list. Yeah, death. You know, like, how we're afraid of death. I'm like, I'm right there with you. <laughs> you know, and she talks about how 45% of Americans believe in ghosts, um, and, like, 65% of Americans believe in life after death, and, um... But, like, in Japan, so she travels to Japan, that number is much, much higher. Most everybody in Japan believes in ghosts, especially ghosts that occur after an unnatural death. And if someone is murdered or commits suicide in a home, it's, it's pretty much a guarantee that house will never sell. Like, they, they can't do anything with it after that. Wow. Um, 
and like how different Japanese horror is from American horror. Like how in America we're like we have monsters and we're like bloody and gory, and in Japan it's more like unsettling. Like they have different kind of monsters and different kinds of ghosts, and um, it's also really interesting. She she observes from behind the scenes in haunted houses. Like they have like little peepholes. You can they check on people, make sure nobody's getting in trouble or doing anything wrong. And in America, when people get scared, everybody runs, and it's like, everyone for themselves. Whereas in other countries that she visited in haunted houses, when something scary is happening, they all, like, huddle together and, like, grab each other and, like, get oh, down to so the interesting. floor. Whereas Americans are like, you're on your own! <laughs> I'm out of here! <laughs> That's, like, such a perfect microcosm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so getting back to the thing, like, with Caitlin Doty about death, you know, she talks about how we're terrified of death, and it didn't used to be that way at all. In in some countries, it's still not, but especially, like, in America and Canada and parts of Europe, like, we're terrified of it, and how our life expectancy has doubled in the last hundred years. Um, in America, our chance of being murdered or robbed has dropped by almost half since the early 1990s. Uh, we have fewer fatal illnesses. Uh, we have better treatments for the ones that exist. But surveys show that every year more people are afraid of dying than ever. Like, we're just all terrified of it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to think about it. You know, fewer and fewer people visit people who are dying every year. It's And, it, like, Caitlin Doty is, like, working to, to move back towards, you know, being more positive about that. Um, and she you know, explores that in this book. She also talks a lot about prisons. It turns out that... Um, the, a prison that she went to to scare herself about a dark enclosed space. She like went because like you do, you just go and sit in the dark in a scary old prison. Um, also ended up being the most haunted place in the country. Huh. It was the first penitentiary uh, built. It's in Pennsylvania in like the mid eighteen hundreds, uh, and they built the the penitentiary I can't I'm like getting all my p words confused here. The prison. <laughs> yeah, um, they built it. With the idea in mind that prisons were this horrible place where people were mistreated and horrible things were happening to them. So they were going to build this giant building and keep people in solitary confinement because they thought if they separated them and let them, like, ruminate on their crimes and their lives and what they had done, that it would be rehabilitating. And instead, it was the opposite. Like, being left alone with your thoughts to think about the horrible things that you've done and your life is awful, it turns out, like, for your brain. And ended up having the opposite effect, making people crazier. This penitentiary ended up being a terrible place where there were all kinds of, you know, mistreatments and just, it was just awful. And so now it's supposed to be, like, the most haunted place in the country. So she went there, she brought some ghost hunters, looked for ghosts. Um, It's just, it's fascinating. It's full of science. And it glows in the dark. And it glows in the dark. Yes, the cover glows in the dark. Um, Which, see, I go back and forth about telling people that because... When, when I worked at the bookstore, we had uh, Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. That, mm-hmm. co- that cover glowed in the dark. And I had this thing in it, like a staff pick, and it also was like, the cover glows in the dark. And then I thought, what if you don't tell people that the cover glows in the dark? So I took that out, and then a few weeks later, this lady came in, and she's like, oh, I was at home, and I turned off my bedroom <laughs> light, and I was like, what the heck is going on? And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And mean, that's funny. but kind of fun. Uh, my so, copy of Scream had a sticker on it that was like, hey, I glow in the dark. Oh, uh, well, good. Okay. <laughs> It's probably better than, like, 
frightening people. Although that's the whole point of this book. I lost like 10 minutes to standing in my bathroom, which is the only windowless room in my house, (laughs) trying to take a picture so that I could show Instagram that the book glows in the dark, but my stupid iPhone wouldn't detect the glow. I tried the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't show up on the cameras for some reason. It's haunted. These are our 21st century digital girl problems. (laughs) So those are all the notes that I can remember in my brain. Yes, and not pronounce penitentiary prison Pennsylvania at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's so, very difficult. Um, it's your turn. You're going to tell us. It's my turn. Yeah, we decided since we were talking about Scream and sc- we've been nerding out about it together and talking about scary books as we go into the season of, of Halloween and horror reading and cold weather, which is perfect for hunkering down with something that'll scare the wits out of you, that we would pick a couple scary stories uh, to talk about this week to highlight as well. So my first one, the scariest book that I have read in a long time uh, is Bird Box by Joshua Mailerman. It came out last year. It's in paperback now. Uh, It sort of seemed to like come by surprise and then it made its way through Book Riot and through most of our readers because everyone just couldn't stop talking about it. This is a crazy book. Um, It begins a few years after some bad thing has happened that has released or put or something. We don't really know what the setup was, but there is something in the outside world or some creatures or something. We don't know. We just know there's something bad out there. And when you look at this thing or these things, you go insane and then you kill yourself and you might kill other people. And the main character, Mallory, has been inside the house that she's living in for years with two small children. Um, They have to put on blindfolds anytime they have blindfolds anytime they leave the house, like to fetch water from the well or to go find food or whatever. All of the windows are covered with heavy drapery. They hear weird things on the radio. Um, She's been trapped in this house with these children and other people for several years. Something else bad has happened. And now she's alone with the kids. And she's decided it's time to leave. She's going to make her escape from this house, find a canoe that she like hid nearby a long time ago, and then paddle down the river to where she believes there is safety. She's going to do this and the kids are going to do this while they're all blindfolded because you can't look at whatever is out there or you'll go crazy and kill yourself. And so it's basically like if they made a movie of this the screen would be black anytime that these people were outside the house because they can't see anything. They can just hear stuff and think that they feel things and that there are presences. Uh, It's bonkers. Uh, It takes a lot to make me like afraid to go to sleep at night when I'm reading a scary book. And this one gave me weird dreams for a couple days. Um, It's but it's great. And it's so creative. I had not read something with this concept before where, you know, we've seen books where like the scary thing is a thing that you can't see or you don't know what the scary thing is. But the way that Joshua Mailerman puts it together in Bird Box is just absolutely terrifying. And it's so well done. So that's my first scary pick. Did you know um, when he gave readings that he handed the audience blindfolds to wear while no. they listened to him read? I think I'd be afraid, like, what else are you going to do while we're not looking? <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Man, that's hardcore. But it's a great book if you're looking for something scary to take you into the season. 
Uh, okay, so our next sponsor, before you scare me, uh, we have Under the Udala Trees by Chinalo Oak Paranta is back this week. Uh, this is a coming-of-age story about a young woman named Ijioma. Um, she is coming of age at the same time that her nation is. She's growing up in Nigeria. She was born before the country was independent, and she's 11 when civil war breaks out. Um, she's sent away to safety. And while she's in this safe place, she meets another displaced child, and they are essentially star-crossed lovers. They fall for each other. They're from different ethnic communities. And here's the kicker. They are both girls, which is not acceptable in their communities. When their love is discovered, Ijioma learns that she's going to have to hide this part of herself. But she also learns that there is a cost to living inside a lie. Uh, just like Edwija Danticat has made the personal legacy, uh, has made the legacy of Haiti's political coming of age into personal stories and her work under the Udolatries uses one woman's lifetime, uses the story of Idioma to examine the ways that Nigerians continue to struggle toward selfhood. It's a nation's story through the lens of an individual story. And even as the nation contends with and recovers from the effects of war and division, Nigerians' lives are also wrecked and lost from taboo and from prejudice. Um, and so this story in Under the Udala Trees offers a glimmer of hope and tells the story um, where there's a future where a woman might just be be able to shape her life around truth and love and who she really is. Um, this is one of the big debut novels of 2015. We keep talking about that. Every episode, we're talking about some big debut novel of the year. This It just came out last year and it's getting, or last week, I'm sorry, getting excellent reviews. There are incredible blurbs from incredible writers for this book. I've been following uh, the events that Chinelo Okparanta is doing online and just a really remarkable book and a great story to read. So that is Under the Udala Trees, that's spelled U-D-A-L-A by Chinello Okparanta. We'll have a link to it in the show notes and you can find it wherever you buy your books. I still have Thank to you. read it. <laughs> I keep meaning to, but I have some other books to read. Is it on your list? <laughs> Actually, since the book fell on my head, I threw all my books out. <laughs> Just <laughs> no kidding. No more books. No more books. <laughs> no more books. You're going to give away all your books and become like a, I don't know, a dog walker and not do books at all. Or I'm just going to get a helmet. Also possible. Yeah, I'll just wear a helmet. <laughs> What's next on your list? Oh, so this book is the probably the scariest book that I've read in at least five years, possibly ten years. Um, it's, you know, there are books that like creep me out a little bit here and there or a little bit the whole time. But this one like really frightened me quite a bit. For most of it. Uh, it's called I Remember You, a ghost story by, oh, I don't know that I can say the author's name, <laughs> by Ursa Sigurdardotter. Sigurdardotter? I, I didn't learn how to pronounce it. I'm very sorry. It's by... <coughs> um, Icelandic, maybe? Yes, Swedish? yes, she's Icelandic. Icelandic. Yeah, it takes place in Iceland. Um, so it's about these three friends, uh, a married couple, uh, Katrin and Gadar, and their widowed friends, Leif, who decide to buy an abandoned house on a very small remote island that is hard to get to. Because that sounds like a great idea, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nothing could ever go wrong. This is one of those books, like those those horror movies that you watch, where like, don't do that, don't do that. Oh, don't do that. That's <laughs> don't not go a good idea. Yeah. yeah, so they decide, oh, they hear about this house, and, you know, for some reason, nobody lives out there. Wouldn't it be great to buy it and turn it into a lovely B&B and... You know, it's basically just, like, sitting there waiting to make them piles of money, right? Like, they'll they'll build this up, they'll take their mind off the, the husband who died, and, you know, everything will be great. 
So back uh, on the mainland, meanwhile, there's a psychiatrist who is called into an investigation regarding the suicide of an elderly woman who was a stranger to him, but who they creepily discover was obsessed with the death of the psychiatrist's six-year-old son a few years back. Like, she ha- knows all this information about him. Um, it's, it's very creepy. And, of course, these two storylines cross paths. And it's just one of those books where you're like, okay, now get out. Okay, now get out. Please, for the love of God, just leave the island. You know, and then, you know, there's, there's bad weather. Nobody can leave. People see things. People accuse other people of things. They think they're losing their minds. It's so scary. I was just like, ah, why am I reading this? This is so great. Yeah. No, it's super scary. So, um, again, it's called I Remember You, A Ghost Story. Please don't make me say the author's name again. <laughs> Every time I talk about it, then I end up having that Skid Row song stuck in my head for hours after. Do you know that one? Their, I don't their think slow so. ballad, I Remember You. Oh. Yeah, that's because I'm very old. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, again, highly recommended, scariest thing I've read in a long time. So, um, your cool. turn. My last pick, speaking of ghosts, is Ghost Summer by Tanareev Duey. I am in the middle of this one. I've been reading one story a night because I'm still uh, giving the rest of my heart to Alexander Chi and the Queen of the Night, as well as trying to read the th- my homework for this show. Uh, so I've I've been really loving what I've read of it so far. This is a new collection of short stories, but Tanareev Duey is well known for her fiction. And she writes horror that's not quite horror and where you don't necessarily see the monsters. Um, there are stories about people who are haunted by real things, people who are haunted by history, uh, some that combine both. And the best part of this collection, and the, the stories are great. The best part of the collection, though, is that there's an author's note at the end of each one that explains why she originally wrote the story, what she was thinking about, uh, or w- which anthology had asked her for a piece and what the prompt was or what the issue was that was on her mind that prompted her to write each particular story. This is the thing that I wish more short story writers would do. And I didn't even know it was the thing that I wanted until I discovered that it's in Ghost Summer. It's just so cool to read a story and then to have the author right there on the page going, hey, I read this article about this thing and that got me thinking about this other thing. And so that's where the idea from this story came from. Or I got invited to submit a piece for a collection that was all about this theme. And so when I dug into this theme, here's the story that came out of my brain. I really, really love it. Uh, Dewey is a writer that should certainly be more widely read and recognized. And so I think that you should all pick up Ghost Summer. So uh, my boyfriend and I have been thinking about uh, living in a lake house. Like, Mm -hmm. seriously, giving it some consideration for the future. Like, wouldn't it be great if we lived year-round on a lake and... You know, we were looking into them, and and so we spent this afternoon looking at realty sites. And that night, I was like, "Well, I just have a little bit of time before I have to do this thing, so I'm going to pick up Ghost Summer." Because oh, did you it's read that story. first story? <laughs> so the very first story is about a lady who moves into a lake house by herself with no one she, around and no she goes boy. swimming in a lake. You're not supposed to swim in. <laughs> yeah, nobody's there to tell her not to swim in that lake. I was like, this is a sign. <laughs> that is such a good, creepy story, too. It's perfect. Yeah. Now I want to live in a treehouse. Yeah, nothing bad could ever happen <laughs> being high up in the air. No. So it's me. I'm last. Um, I'm Take gonna, us home. Yes, I'm going to talk about a book that I'm only two-thirds of the way through. Uh, it's called The Hallowed Ones by Laura Bickle. And I have two words. Amish vampires. <laughs> right? Okay, okay. So Amanda... Our coworker got on Slack and she's like, You guys, you have to read this book. It's about Amish vampires. 
it's so creepy, it scared me. And I was like, that woman doesn't is not afraid of anything. So if this book was scaring her, I want to read that book. So I immediately ran out and got it. Um, and it's true. It's about these people who live in an Amish um, community. And it's called... Uh, or the uh, people outside of the community. It's called the outside. People from the outside. They call them the English, and they live in the outside. And the people in the community, there's a, a young girl named Katie who is 17, and she is deciding whether she wants to stay in the community or go live in the outside. When something horrible happens, and it turns out that really bad things have been happening outside of their community that they weren't aware of, and they the creepy, awful things start coming into their community no, and what no. they need to do. And it's really unsettling and weird. And it's also really interesting because I know very little about the Amish. And so if if you know very little about the Amish, reading this, it teaches you a lot about them. You know, especially if, like, all you know about them is from a Harrison Ford movie, you know, in a Weird Al song. So, <laughs> you know, it's really interesting and super creepy. And there's a sequel, I'm told. So... Uh, nice. I'm really enjoying this. And yeah, so that's my other scary pick. What's the title again? The Hallowed Ones by right. Laura Bickle. That is our show. <sighs> except what are you going to read next? Oh, I uh, this one, I know the answer to this one. <laughs> <laughs> um I mentioned this uh, several episodes ago and now it is finally in my hot little hands. It is a copy of my friend's book. Uh, it's called The Penny Poet of Portsmouth by Catherine Towler, and she wrote this book about uh, a gentleman who lived in Portsmouth. Um, he was the, the town poet. His name was Robert Dunn, and he was this very unusual man. Like, when I was a teenager and we used to run around downtown, you know, causing problems and, you know, flirting with boys and not paying attention to much else, you'd always see him. He looks like uh, an R. Crumb character. Like, he just, he had this this very sharp nose and this big red mustache, and he wore this cap and these big black glasses and and he was just so interesting. Um, and then when I got older, I found out that he was like this uh, brilliant poet. Um, and he died several years ago. But Catherine knew her knew ugh, I can't talk. Catherine knew him very well, and uh, so she wrote a memoir about him. And I'm very excited to read it. Cool. What are you gonna read? I'm gonna dig into Eating Words, a Norton anthology of food writing, mm. which. I didn't even know it was coming out until I started opening my book mail this week. And then it was in there and it's huge. And in Norton tradition, this isn't just like 25 contemporary essays about food and reading. They go way back and start with mentions of food in the Bible. And then they move up through um, some of the classical writers writing about food and philosophers talking about food. And there is a reprint of Jonathan Swift's Modest Proposal essay where he suggests <laughs> that, <laughs> that we should eat babies to get us through the family. Um, that is satire, people. I hope that we all read that in school. Uh, and then it moves up to contemporary food writing, and there's a foreword by Ruth Reichel. Uh, I love food writing. I'm also really in the mood for um, stories and books where I can take like bite-sized nuggets, and that pun was totally intended. Right now, while I'm working, uh, work is crazy. We're getting ready for Book Riot Live. I'm traveling a lot. I need essays and short stories and anthologies of things, and eating words looks perfect. Excellent. So now that's our show. Yes, that's our show. <laughs> I made it. You did. Don't let anything else fall on your precious head this week, please. I'll try not to. 
Thanks again to our sponsors, Me, My Hair, and I, and Under the Udala Trees. Again, you can get this wherever books are sold or click on the link in our show notes to get more information. Drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com if you've got something to say. You can talk to us on Twitter. I am at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty, just like how it sounds. If you like the show, you can rate or review it on iTunes. It helps other book lovers to find it, and it helps us love you a little bit extra. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, I need a nap. Uh, but you can read more about titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And that is it. Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.